shouldn't talk to them. They're bad. I know. Live from the center of the Bass Fishing Universe, it's time for Bass After Dark, your weekly waypoint to the best conversation and debate in all of fishing. One question, three experts, no rules, and none of the guests know who the other guests will be. All they know is tonight's question. So strap down your rods, put on your life jacket, and fasten your kill switch, because here's your host, Ken Duke. Welcome to Bass After Dark. Since before recorded history, mankind has looked heavens for answers. The sun, the moon, the stars. Surely if we could properly interpret what those celestial bodies are telling us, we would know all the secrets of the universe. Since 1792, the Old Farm Farmer's Almanac has been publishing long-range weather forecasts designed to inform farmers and other readers what they should expect. Warmer cold weather, a wet or dry summer, all using a secret forecasting formula that incorporated solar activity, astronomy cycles, and weather patterns. They claim an 80% accuracy rate on their predictions over the past couple of centuries. And that formula is still used today, much like the recipe for Kentucky Fried Chicken's 11 herbs and spices or the formula for Coca-Cola, the 232-year-old forecasting system of the Old Farmer's Almanac is a closely guarded secret, and it's kept in a black tin box at their offices in Dublin, New Hampshire. The great Dr. Henshaw weighed in on the subject in his seminal work from 1881, Book of the Black Bass. He wrote, while I am not a believer in the theory of the moon's influence over terrestrial objects, I am not prepared to say that there is nothing whatever in the moon affecting the feeding of fish. But in fact, Henshaw thought the moon's only contribution was to provide light at night so that bass could see his baits. Nearly a hundred years ago, a man named John Alden Knight first presented something he called the Salooner Theory. In 1942, he published a book about it titled Moon Up, Moon Down. Knight believed that the sun, the moon, and the tides had a powerful impact on the behavior of animals. He wrote, fish will feed, animals will move about, birds will sing and fly from place to place. In fact, all living things will become more active, more alive during salooner periods than at other times of apparent equal value. Knight published his first salooner table in 1936, and his system was very popular and financially rewarding. Since then, every publisher of such tables has used somewhat similar data, though most have added or subtracted factors or somehow changed the calculations to make it their own. Dan Barnett's feeding times and Doug Hannon's moon clock are just a couple of the tables that have been popular in my lifetime. One of tonight's guests publishes what is probably the most sophisticated and respected table out there. Do these tables work? Should we alter our fishing habits based upon what they tell us? If you're like me and don't often get to choose when you go fishing, do these tables still have value? Finally, and assuming these tables are valuable, are there any advanced tips we can learn 
to get the most from them. That's what we hope to get from tonight's conversation. We've got exactly the right panel to do it. Welcome to Bass After Dark, the most illuminating conversation in bass fishing. For the next 90 minutes, maybe more, we hope to show you that inch for inch and pound for pound, this is the best show in bass fishing. Now it's time for my most important duty of the night, introducing my co-host. No matter where he goes or what he's doing, he always wears parachute pants because for him it's always hammer time. Welcome, Brian the Carpenter. That's fantastic, man. And, and you're looking exquisite tonight, I must say. If, if nothing else, I'm the best dressed guy in bass fishing. Yeah. That's just... a great line. Did you look that up? No, I remember I remember the 80s and 90s. Come on. Damn. That was awesome, dude. <laughs> that was fantastic, Ken. Gotta compare you to MC Hammer. Yeah. It was a and a fantastic monologue, as always. Well, you know, I, I want to lead into our show tonight because I think everybody has uh, an idea of what the salooner tables are about. But I wanted to dig into the history a little bit. You know how fascinated I am with the history. I'm, I'm as into the history as you are into the science. And I think we're going to have a little of both tonight. And I'm very excited about that. So am I. So am I. Very excited about it. Yeah, I, I wonder if people understand how much we look forward to, to each episode because Brian, Nathan, and I pour a lot of effort into getting this show out there and, and in front of everybody and, and picking just the right guests. And, uh, and we've they got can it never tonight. truly know, Ken. We can never truly know some of this stuff, but we can at least go to the experts. We can go to the best minds and practitioners in the business and, and try to get dialed in better and figure out what a reasonable answer is. Indeed. I was Fair saying enough. the guest, the, the, the audience can never truly know just how excited we are. Oh, that, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah. yeah, but but we put a lot of effort into each show and uh, a lot of it's fun. A lot of it is is just grinding to make sure it's the best show we can put out there. Uh, and, and one of the things that's kind of a grind, but also a lot of fun at the same time comes up toward the end of the show and yes. uh, give everybody a little little inkling of what we got there. Yes, in keeping with the uh, times, it is our top 10 New Year's resolutions list. There you go. Top 10 yes. New Year's resolutions. You know, it, we're, only, uh, we're only four days into the new year, so there's still plenty of time to make your resolutions. We've got some great choices for you yeah, and, and I, for I don't some think celebrity they could, anglers. I don't think they could truly know just how hard the top 10 list is. Yeah, really, we come up I with... Mean, 50, 35 30 to 50. 50. Yeah. Yeah. And we got to throw out the, the, our best five easily right off the top. <laughs> cause they're, cause they're far too mean. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah. Just we, can't can't, use we can't use those. It's not efficient. No, um, no, but yeah, excited for that as well. You know, it, it, the image that popped in my head when we were talking about how excited, remember that dance Snoopy would do on top of his doghouse? Yes. That's kind of how I feel about this, this topic <laughs> in this show tonight. That's awesome. Me too. Me too. Well, yeah. shall we get this thing rolling? Well, let's get it rolling. Oh, I guess that's all me, huh? Yeah. Uh, all right. First, our first man into the into the conversation with us tonight. He's a longtime outdoor writer, author of several books on fishing, creator and publisher of Rick Taylor's Prime Times, a forecaster of fish and game activity. We have Rick Taylor. 
Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us and, and, and your time. You know, when I first got into bass fishing and saw my first Bassmaster magazine back in the 70s, you quickly became my very favorite writer. You, and, and you, I don't want you to have to feel like you have to apologize for this, but I think you had a big impact on me even getting into the field of outdoor writing. Uh -oh. You're muted, Rick. Rick, you're going to have to unmute your, your screen there. There's a microphone symbol with a slash through it or a, a, a mute button on there. Let's see. Well, while there we go. You're, you should be good now. I was going to say, I don't, want you to, I, I don't want you to feel like you have to apologize for getting me into the bass writing world. Oh, oh, okay. So now you can hear me. Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> well, and, and thank folks, you, Ken. That, I'm embarrassed, but I uh, appreciate it very much. <laughs> well, I, I don't, you don't have too much to answer for. I, I hope we, I hadn't done too much damage. And, and this is still one of, the, I think, one of the five or six best books I've ever read on bass fishing. Uh, Rick published this back in the late 70s, early 80s, Guide to Successful Bass mm -hmm. Fishing. And, and BTC, to your wheelhouse, this man was bringing science to the game early on. Mm -hmm early on in ways that other guys weren't doing it. And, and there's a, a picture of it. If you can track down a copy, one of those on abebooks.com yeah. or eBay, uh, by all means, you need to do that. Yeah, send me one. I've only got one copy left. There you go. <laughs> I bet they're expensive, but they're worth it. All right, BTC, who, who's up next? That's awesome. We have uh, a big bass specialist, owner and operator of Trophy Bass Expeditions of Central Florida. He and his clients are leading producers of Lunker Bass for Florida's Trophy Catch Program. We have Sean Rush. Uh, welcome. Uh, Sean, welcome to the show, man. We appreciate you. Uh, hey, so just to let everybody out there know, as a bass guide, Sean is usually in bed right about now. So yeah. <laughs> we appreciate you making a late night for us. And I want to tell everybody real quick how I got to know Sean. Um, Sean and I have never had a chance to share a boat together or anything, but I'm a huge fan. And, uh, one day I got a call from, uh, Glenn Lau. If anybody doesn't know who Glenn Lau is, they need to look him up. He made the greatest films about bass fishing ever. Big he mouth, sure big did. mouth forever. And, uh, Glenn, I wrote a book with Glenn about 12 years ago and, uh, as knowledgeable as anybody in the game. And, and Glenn calls me up and says, I just spent the day with the best fishing guide I have ever met. And he introduced me to Sean Rush. And I've done a few articles with Sean, uh, extraordinarily knowledgeable, the best big bass angler in the state of Florida. Kind words, kind words. All, all true. All right, BTC, we got one more. That's right. We have our science, our biologist of the night. He's a bachelor's degree in freshwater biology, a master's in fisheries science from Texas A&M, also a fisheries biologist for Major League Fishing, and the owner of Texas Pro Lake Management, we have Stephen Barden. Woo! Steve! Good evening. Good evening. Thank you all for having me. Welcome, Stephen. And, and I got to know Stephen for a couple of years. Gary Klein kept telling me, oh, you got to meet Stephen Barden. Oh, you got to meet Stephen Barden. And I'm thinking, well, how can this guy possibly live up to all the accolades that Gary Klein was throwing his way? But he did, he has, Stephen and I have become friends, even though he, he, as recently as about 15 minutes ago, insulted my hairline, which I thought was beyond the pale. Lack, lack of hairline, right? <laughs> Something like that. 
All right, Rick, I think we got to start with you, man. You've been doing your astro tables for, for decades. They are the go-to in our day and age for the folks who, who buy into the Salooner tables. I hope you got to hear some of the monologue. Did I, did I do the Salooner tables justice or, or what would you like to add to that kind of precursor to our discussion? Well, maybe I would start with the fact that the, the Solunar uh, was kind of a misnomer. Um, it's uh, starting with night and uh, the, those that followed, uh, they made it sound like that the sun was incorporated into their tables, you know, solar, lunar, solunar. Uh, but the fact is the sun had nothing to do with their tables. It was all moon. And this kind of set me off. So back in the 80s, um, well, I lived in Iowa City at the time, and I was at the, that's the home of the University of Iowa. So I had access to a, 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 a plethora of, of, of libraries and colleges, and, uh, and I got uh, Outdoor Life to assign me an article to see if there's any scientific uh, basis to these moon tables, as they were called. So uh, I, I keyed in on the College of Astrophysics, which was home of uh, Dr. Van Allen, if anybody recognizes that name. Uh, he was the one who discovered the Van Allen belts around our planet um, of radiation. Anyway, he was a great guy. I just really liked him, and we had some long discussions, and he ended up giving me their textbook, which I read from beginning to end. And I found so much stuff in there that could be influencing fish and game activity that it made my head spin. And uh, I was only allowed about two weeks to do this article. And uh, with the research, I got it done, but then my research continued on for another two years. And I found stuff that was just so important that I felt like I just had to do my own table. <clears throat> and probably the main thing was the sun. The sun had to be in any kind of activity forecaster. It's, it's far more important than the moon is. And the other thing was there were seven cycles to the sun and the moon that had a bearing on just how strong any given period was gonna be. So uh, again, I, I devised a table. I, I think it started off as, I called it the Sky Tracker. It morphed into Astro Tables and then it, uh, is, now it's prime times, <clears throat> but I still have the Astro Tables. Uh, both of them. So um, it, gives, it gives far more power to the sun than those other tables do. And I think I was the first one to incorporate that. Uh, I think others maybe have followed, but I've really lost track. So I don't know. I just worry about my own and, and uh, uh, I'll shut up for the moment and see if you have any more questions, but I got a lot more information if you need it. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna ask more questions. We got more information. Hey, Sean, before I ask you a question, could you turn your phone sideways so we can get a, a different perspective on your image there? <laughs> oh, perfect. That's that's much better. Thank you. Uh, now, Sean, I, you know our buddy Glenn Lau, who unfortunately the late great Glenn Lau passed away uh, a couple of years ago now. Um, I didn't realize this until I worked on the book with him. But back in the mid '80s, Glenn produced his own tables for about a year. Um, yeah, he only did it for one year. He, he said it was very time consuming to put it together. I'm sure Rick can attest to that. Um, but but when for a guy like you who has to produce big fish, are the are the salooner tables something that that you look to? Um, yeah, you know, just over 
so many days and hours on the water. Um, what I've noticed most is the, the periods preceding a new and a full moon, like the three days prior leading up to both. Uh, I, I'm not saying it's the end all, but you really do see a bump, you know, the three days prior to the new, three days prior to the full. And then once you, it's, it's also noticeable that once you get after the full moon, that it seems to start slowing down quite a bit. Is this just with regard to big bass or is this regard to numbers as well? Uh, just an uptick in uh, feeding activity in general. I feel like, you know, the day preceding both moon cycles, uh, it's a noticeable change. Gotcha. Now, Stephen, as, as the, the more formal science, I think, I think both Sean and Rick have, have spent a lot of time studying and, and putting it to some, their own versions of, of the scientific method here. But it seems like this whole field is kind of suffering from a lack of, of real scientific study. Is that fair? That's fair. Um, whenever you told me the topic, I went to the primary source for any fisheries biologist. I went to American Fisheries Society and did a literary search. Um, so we can search back to 1971 uh, for, for basically PDF documents. So from 1971 to 2023, there was 114 scientific articles that even mentioned a lunar cycle. And uh, I, I clicked through and read several. Uh, majority handled more tidal water and, and reef. Uh, they, they really were not focused on freshwater. I found three scientific studies on freshwater. Um, and, and I read those. I got uh, really into the details of each one. And we can kind of discuss them and the species and, and, and what they found. But uh, as a general rule, whenever you look at the American Fisheries Society, that's, that is where you go for research um, as, sure. a, as a scientist. As a general rule, whenever you see so few articles, that would be a subject that is, has very little research. And then whenever we see that there are only three freshwater articles, it uh, looks like it's more impactful in marine environments. BTC, I know you had a question for Sean. <clears throat> yeah, I wanted to follow up with you, Sean. Um, you said the three days prior is there a particular day? Is it the third day before and the third, you know, or? No, like I can't really say there's a particular day that's better. It's just noticeable, you know, as you get closer to those moon phases that it, that the fishing ramps up. I can't really say, you know, the, the third day out is better than the first day out or something like that. But it just seems like, you know, a couple of days out, it really, it really starts to change. Like I, I look forward to those days, you know, when I look at my calendar. Because it's just, just, just season after season, it plays out that way. How about how about the day of the the full moon? Um, you know, it kind of it kind of depends on on honestly the the, the weather situation. Always like it, right. Yeah, in in the summer, um, I kind of I'm not crazy about the full moon on a clear night because I feel like the water's warm and those fish kind of stay up and party all night. You know, they can see good. and I think they feed all night. Um, I noticed a, a slowdown. I like the new moon in the warmer months. Um. But, and the other thing, you know, the full moon can also affect the fish. We don't necessarily target fish on the bed, but we'll target areas where they, they stage the spawn. And uh, sometimes around the full moon, you know, you'll have an area that has a lot of big fish in it and suddenly they're just gone. You know, I, th I feel like they actually move out to do their thing. And sometimes fish you have located will just disappear overnight, you know, sometimes during the spawning season around the full moon. So uh, it's just kind of stuff I've noticed. Rick, how, go ahead. How about, Sorry, how about the three days after? 
Yeah. Um, After a full, there is oh. a astrophysical evidence for that. I I believe. Um, I kind of postulated this theory. I call it the rhythm theory. Um, how the the moon and the sun uh, get into a rhythm, and when it hits at its peak during the new moon and the full moon, uh, it's like if you knew when the periods are occurring, it's it's like say one week before a new moon, you've got you got the solar period, you got the lunar period, you got a solar period, you got a lunar period. Now this starts to scrunch together, and by the time you come to the new moon. They're both hitting at the same time. Mm. And a few days right before that, it's starting to get into rhythm. This is of the energy, the electromagnetic energy that's coming from both the sun and the moon, hitting these fish at the same time on a new moon and a full moon. That, therefore, the, the theory that three days before and three days after are the best. And I found that to be true just from my fishing experience. Yeah, we're gonna mention this again, uh, later in the show, but for anybody who wants to get Rick's book or the Astro Tables or the primetime stuff, and you really should, uh, all you got to do is go, just go to Google and search uh, Rick Taylor Prime Times, and you'll, you'll find it. Um, but, but one of the great points you make in, in your books and in all of your writings, Rick, and that Sean alluded to a moment ago, was that, that there are things that will override the salooner tables. For example, a, a wicked cold front or, or something like that can certainly override moon and, and solar phases. Is that, is that a fair statement? Oh, definitely. Let me, uh, let me find it here. I even, in, uh, in the book and on my website, I, I have a little article entitled Keeping Things in Perspective. And I put, I listed six things, uh, six elements that influence bass. You know, they're my favorite, but it does apply to all fish and game. The very first one is called fishing and hunting pressure. Okay, we all agree that if, you know, everything can be perfectly right, but if you get there and somebody has already pounded the area or scared the, the deer out of the area, you're not gonna get anything, okay? The second one I've got is the, the individual's creature's mental and physical state. Now, we have no way of knowing if that bass just ate, for example, or, you know, anyway, that's just a, another unknown. But it can totally affect whether you're going to catch him or not. The third one's the seasonal factor. Now, you bass fishermen, we all know <laughs> the seasons, how important they are. Us up north here, we have to deal with ice. So as soon as the ice goes out, the big fish come up because they're starved for oxygen and food. We can catch our biggest bass as soon as the ice goes out. You guys in Florida have no idea what that's like, <laughs> but we, we don't want to know, Rick. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, yeah you don't want to know. <laughs> then you go into the pre-spawn, and you, you guys know all this. Those are huge factors that, that have a lot to do with when a, a bass is going to bite. The fourth one is water temperature and the weather. Uh, for Pete's sakes, when the water's warming, especially here in the north, this is a big thing for us. Uh, that the fish is cold-blooded, so he starts to turn on with his metabolism increasing. You know, uh, when you get in the summer, if it's still going up, it can get too hot, and that turns them off. Uh, it can be cold in the fall or spring, and a cold front comes through, the water temperature drops, that screws up your fishing terribly. We all know about cold fronts. Yeah. The fifth one is the sun. 
Now this one, I, its light cycle, you know, is so important. Uh, at, at dawn, uh, suddenly night turns into day. What a stimulus that is, you know. Uh, dawn or uh, dusk, it's the same, just the opposite. And what a lot of people don't realize is is the high noon period. Now you got, <laughs> I, oh, if I got stories on this one, but I, I won't bore you. Um, the sun is now penetrating the deepest of the day into the water. And I did so much fishing during the noon, noon periods in my younger days because, well, I, I would write at night, late at night, and then sleep all day, <laughs> get up at 10.30 and go fishing. Oh, that's awesome. I would awesome. catch fish out there at midday. Well, nobody else is on the lake but in the middle of summer, but you had to go deep. And the fish were schooled, and they were just as hungry. And I credit that to the sun penetrating deep into the water, creating plankton blooms, which then stimulates the bait fish to move, which stimulates the predators. Uh, it, it, it really works. So the, the sun is very important. And the last one is the moon in this perspective. And its main element is, is that it, 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 on the best times of the day to go, and sometimes on the best days of the week or month to go. But again, the moon is number six on a list of six. <laughs> Now, Stephen, all these factors wow, that we're talking about, that's awesome. we, we, we all think about all the factors we deal with when, we're, when we go out bass fishing, and, and Rick has just listed a bunch of them. That's got to make something like this extremely difficult to study in a meaningful way. Is that, is that one of the big barriers to science really taking a, a meaningful stab at this? Uh, there's, there's several barriers. Uh, you mentioned uh, weather would be, would be a, a very big one. Um, Rick mentions the fact that sunlight... Uh, it changes plankton throughout the day. You know, you have your phytoplankton bloom, you have your zooplankton, which lives in the bottom of the lake, and it rises throughout the day to consume that uh, blooming phytoplankton. That is is dictated by the moon. So those those can become pretty difficult things to measure. But also, you have a live animal in, in a large reservoir. It's hard to know where it is and what it's doing. And one of the studies uh, that I that I found, Kim. Uh, they actually did a whole lake telemetry study where they looked at where fish were uh, for a year long. And so what the study was, it, it happened in uh, Ontario, Canada. Uh, it was uh, Dr. Kyle Hansen that did the study. He tagged 14 male fish and eight female fish and tagged those with telemetry tags. And then the entire lake had transponders. So we knew their location at all times. And what, what Kyle found at the end of the study was that the lunar phase um, really had a significant determination of the activity of the fish and the depth the fish were in. The problem was it was never predictable um, and it wasn't repeatable. And that's something you have to have in science is a way to repeat it so that we understand why it's happening. Uh, there were times of the year that it was slightly more predictable, but for the most part, it was something that that you couldn't replicate over and over. And that was a fairly small number of fish and, and it was actually a 20 acre reservoir. So it'd even be a small body of water, but to do that on a large scale reservoir is almost impossible. And then to not get predictable results means I can't as another scientist uh, duplicate it. So that <laughs> there's a lot of really complicating factors to make a solid scientific study um, that, that make this a tough, tough subject to really understand. I can only imagine. Yeah, there, there was just 
too many variables. Sean, you're, you've got the opposite problem of me. I don't get to go fishing enough to really choose my times. You've got to go fishing every time your clients book a trip. Uh, yeah. Right right now, seven days a week. Yeah, you're, and you're, you're, the the, you're the best in Florida. I don't think anybody's probably produced as many, uh, you know, trophy catch fish as, as you have. And, and, and Sean does a lot of fishing with golden shiners too. So he's, he's using natural bait and all. But when you realize that maybe the salooner tables are not working to your advantage, but hopefully the weather is or something like that, you've still got to go. Do you still, do you pay attention to things like the salooner tables um, on a day that's not three days either side of a full or new moon? Or is that, you just got, got to give it your best shot? Yeah, I mean, regardless of the weather situation, like we have, we have it pretty tough here right now. I mean, not compared to a lot of the rest of the country, but it's it's the water temperature's been down the fifties here for five or six days in a row. It's been really tough. Um, for us, <laughs> I know, I know. not sympathetic. <laughs> no, I know. Right. For us in Florida, that's that's like ice, though. I mean, it's uh, you know, really to be honest with you, um, I, I pretty much do have to go regardless. Um, yeah. yeah, I start, I start. I really pay more attention to, to the days preceding it because I have to go no matter what. So, you know, I, let's just say I, I look forward to the, to the, the days, you know, prior to both moon phases. Um, but, but again, I don't think it's the end all like, like a lot of the, the, the things Rick outlined made a lot of sense. Um, you know, uh, right now water temperature is playing a huge factor. Like, you know, we went from 30 to 60 fish, uh, you know, two weeks ago before that rain hit us. Uh, down to today, I have my lowest number of the day. We only caught eight fish, but I think the fish are just kind of shell shocked because the water's so cold, and it's it's definitely slowing down. So, I mean, I, I tend to pay more attention to it when I get closer to the new and the full, um, and, and kind of you know mark that in my mind um, more than get real bent out of shape about it either way. Because no matter what, I, I've got to produce. I've got to figure out a way to make it happen. Are they harder? Do you? Do you find that they're harder to locate or maybe they're more apt to move when uh, it's not in that window around the full of new moons? Um, no, I just, I just feel like they're, they become more frisky, more active. Um, it's just what I've seen this season after season after season. It's like, you know, a lot of times I'll have guys that they'll ask me, you know, a year out or so, when should I book? And if it's somebody that's wanting, you know, hey, I want to come at the best times, then, you know, I'll look ahead for them and pick out the, day, the days prior to the new or the full moon. Uh, but is it the end all? I mean, like you said, a lot of what we're doing is is the live bait fishing with the large wild shiners. And I almost feel like, you know, bass, bass can learn not to hit a lure. You know, they can they can learn something's vibration or a color or something like yeah. that. They're, they're never going to be deprogrammed. You know, if you have to go the natural bait route, they're never going to be deprogrammed to destroy a, you know, a live bait if it's put right in front of their face. So, um, you know, while while I think it's, I look forward to the moon, you know, getting closer to the moon phases. Is it the end all in my style of fishing? Not necessarily, because I feel like if you get it, you may have to slow down, sit on them longer, things like that. But uh, if you present that bait to them, um, they're pretty much, you know, evolved to just kill that bait. <laughs> Almost whether they want to or not. Yeah, well, I think just getting in the boat with Sean Rush is probably your shortcut to a, the, the personal best. Um, uh, Steven, I saw you nodding a lot a moment ago and one of the things i wanted to ask you about though we haven't touched on is because of your work with major league fishing you you get to see a lot of the data of the catch rates during competitions 
Yeah. Are you seeing correlations to some of the salooner elements or, or anything like that? Or is it, does it seem yeah. to be more random? Yeah. People don't realize with major league fishing, um, all the cups that you see on TV or the Bass Pro Tour, every single fish that is caught, we get a GPS location for that fish. So I, I can tell you every single fish that's ever been caught by every angler, what depth it was caught, where it was caught, uh, what time it was caught. Uh, so being that there was a lack of research on this topic, Ken, I, I went ahead and did a little study of the 2022 Bass Pro Tour season. And I included the seven uh, regular season events and Red Crest event. And I have 9,807 fish catches logged um, during, during those eight competitions. And what I found, I put them into hour by hour categories. So, you know, oh my eight God. to nine. And I, and I did it for every single day of competition. This is what I found. Uh, Hold four, on. No. Can, can I guess 10 to 11 was the slowest bite window? Oh, my gosh. BTC. Um, I'm, I'm quickly glancing, and you're, you're right the majority of events. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I hate, first of all, I hate that he's right. No, but what I have is I have 47 days of competition to catch those 9,800 fish. Uh, 20 of those days, the, the one-hour block was during a major feed. So that's 43% of the time. 11 of those days, it was during a minor feed. That's 11% of the time. In 16 of those days out of 47, uh, were not during a major or minor. So whenever I kind of tally it all up, major or minor, that's 66% uh, of the time. That was the hour block that, that the most fish were caught for the day in a one hour block. And, and sometimes it's a runaway um, where we're talking like 70 or 80 fish caught in a one hour window. And then the next, um, you know, the next highest is like 50 fish or 40 fish. Uh, and, and what is very interesting is when I map it out in Excel, you can see that the trend, the, the period where it happens is not consistent every day. So just like some of the studies ah. where I see that the results are not repeatable, they're not repeatable in our events either. It's not like I can tell you like BTCs at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. Yeah, for the majority, that's that's not. But I can show, you know five days where that is the the most important hour block and most of the time when it is it is in a major feed uh if we do this enough times over enough events this would be a true scientific study i mean there's there's really nobody that can give you ten thousand fish a year caught in competition and tell you what hour they're caught in and compare them to this but this also took like four hours to put together uh if i would have had rick's table in front of me it may may have been a little quicker well, speaking Rick, of you've my got tables, a, you've... I have to ask, um, uh, uh, when you say a block, is, are all these periods, all these major periods, just one hour? No, there were two major periods were two hour um, and minor periods were one hour. Okay. That's yes, the old solar system. My tables. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I use the solar theory. Yep. Mine can go up to three and a half hours long or just be an hour long. So. Yeah. And, and what was... What was strange was uh, a lot of times if it didn't fall in a major or minor and it, and it fell outside of that window, it would be like the next hour outside of that. So like what 
what you guys are saying, like it leads up to uh, what a major or minor feed would be. So there's not much scientific evidence, but whenever I look at major league fishing data, apparently I do see a trend there. Hmm. Interesting. Rick, you've got to like could you, that. Could you send me that data? <laughs> no, Rick. I, cannot. <laughs> I can, I can send you this chart, but, uh, but yeah, a lot of people have asked me for this data. Um, Sounds Even proprietary, too. Rick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's great. I think that's absolutely great. But I, I, I that. feel that there are elements that do determine whether, how the length of the period and the strength of the period. And uh, I have seven cycles of the sun and the moon that I feel are important to that. It's based on how close they are to us at the time, the angle, and, uh, well, just both the sun and the moon working together in tandem. So, yeah. Well, having That's, just a stagnant uh, length of time on a period is, uh, no, I don't agree with that. But you know. I, I love that data because, you know, we don't have a professional tournament angler on this panel. And, and one of the reasons for that is because we've got Stephen. And, and Stephen has a better way to look at this data than any individual oh. tournament angler could possibly have. And, and I, I wanted so much to have Sean on this panel because he's a guy who's out there day in, day out, irrespective, mm -hmm. but a guy who I, I know might be using some of this information to best serve his clients. And, and Sean, to that end, have you noticed, uh, let, let's, let's ignore the numbers game that tournament anglers have to play, and let's focus on big fish, which is your reputation and, and one of the big reasons that people hire you is because they know how good you are at catching giant fish. Have you noticed a, a significant uh, increase in your catch rates during these peak periods that you, you put around the new and full moons of, of giant fish? Yes, yes. Yeah, I've, I've actually uh, subscribed to Rick's tables for a long time, and it really does seem, kind of like what Stephen was alluding to, that uh, you just, it's the same thing, you know, with, with the, the days leading up to, uh, it's usually pretty accurate, uh, you know, as far as the feeding times, they say it, I, it just, it just seems to be pretty, pretty darn right on. Because, because you've got a lot of focus on those new and full moon periods, but there is also another 12 days out of the year. No, more than that, I guess, but a bunch of days out of the year where you really don't have those optimum windows. Yeah. Do you look more to Rick's tables for peak times and try to make sure you're in your key, key areas? uh on those other days of the month um no you know i usually do it more uh like i'll always go to my most productive area first like you always start out where you feel the most confident um regardless of feeding period um uh but you know definitely a lot of the time you know i kind of tell the people when we're getting close to the you know close to the major close to the minor you know it should pick up so i do keep it in mind but i do more of like a uh like if i've got you know, two or three or four spots I want to hit in a certain day. Um, I'm always going to go to the one I feel like is going to be most productive. I just because of the simple fact that I have to battle other factors too. Like, you know, my boat is hunted a lot by other guys yeah. and other local <laughs> anglers, and sometimes I have to go to the spot. I can't like pick out, hey, I want to be here when the majors happening or the minors happening. Because gotcha. if, I, if I don't go to my first spot and, and another fisherman see me there for a couple of days, then I may lose this. So I, I can't really cater my schedule to the, to the tables, but I definitely, you know, keep it in the back of my mind. Hey, we're getting close to the major and minor. And, 
And again, there always seems like there is an uptick around that period of time. Oh, Kid, that's, that's a great, um, another issue with creating a, a scientific study using any angler data is because these tables are available, then people tend to put more effort or uh, potentially have that confidence during those times to where ah. they do pay a little more attention to fishing. Um, and so the success of, of guys like Rick's table has probably led a little bit to the inability to create scientific studies uh, based on catch per unit effort. See there, Rick, it's your fault. <laughs> you thought you were doing only science and now you broke it. Right. <laughs> well, even, even the tournament fishermen, um, you know, when they're, they have to fish these certain hours, they have no choice, but they can also decide when it's time to run and look around and it's time to fish. And I wanted to ask Sean, um, for example, when, when two days are, are identical in weather and everything else, do you see the same bite pattern that day as, I mean, the next day as you did the first day? Um, yeah, if everything's been pretty stable for a while, I'd say yes. I mean, um, you know, sometimes I, I, I believe the way your, your major and minor feed times are set up is it, it's generally like 45 or 50 minutes later the following day. Is that correct? That's about right. The moon yeah. is roughly an hour or less. Yeah. So sometimes it does kind of seem to follow that pattern. Like maybe they'll bite a little bit, you know, later um, the following day. But yeah, I'd say if everything's is roughly, you know, the weather and conditions are roughly the same, it, it tends to be very similar. Yes, sir. Well, now just for, forget the moon and go with just the sun. You got your, well, what time do you start your day? I. Uh, I'm usually out there an hour before daylight because right now it's so cold that, you know, I'm running about 20 or 25 minutes to the areas that we're fishing and I'm not trying to freeze everybody out right now. So we, you know, I launched the boat about probably about six o'clock in the morning. It gets daylight here about seven. So, uh, you know, we'll kind of idle out to the hole and get set up and get ready for, for the sun to come up. They typically, you know, especially if, if, if we're doing a live bait trip, they, they, they pretty much won't attack those baits until they can see them pretty well. They're more, they're more sight feeding after those things. Um, it, it's crazy because, you know, they'll pick up a plastic worm at 20 foot of water at midnight, but they won't attack a shiner until they can actually see it well. You know, so we try to get out there, you know, good and early. Uh, and we're, so we always, a long answer to your question, but we always get set up a little bit before daylight every day. Okay. And what time do you knock off? It just depends on the length of trip. I mean, it, it, if they do a half day, we're probably finishing right now about 1030 a super half day, 11.30 to 12, and a full day would be like 1 to 2 o'clock. Would you say then that, the again, speaking just for the sun, that yeah. dawn is often a good bite? Dawn is, dawn is usually, the morning bite is usually the best bite. You know, but, but, but to be honest with you, we catch a lot of the really big fish from a, a 10 to 2 o'clock window. We catch right. a lot of big fish later in the day. Me too. I found that so true even up here north. Yeah. 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 I mean, but I'd say the best overall bite is early, probably within the first two hours. But then a lot of times, you know, we pick up the big fish kind of midday. And I know there's a lot of guys that subscribe to the theory of 10 to 2, you know, and a lot of the really big fish we've caught have been in that time frame. Hey, One Sean. More question, if I may. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you've paid attention, you talked about the new moon and full moon, but have you ever paid attention to the half moon, which will hit at dawn and dusk? Uh, no, no, I, I guess I really didn't. Uh, well, you know, I see it. I mean, I see the moon. I, I see it, you know, when I'm, I'm out there, but uh, I never 
paid much attention to it, to be honest. Yeah, deer hunters, I hear, just love the half moon because you got okay. the double whammy going both at, with the moon overhead at, okay. or underfoot at dusk and dawn, okay. both. So okay. Okay. Hey, Sean, a double whammy. Sean, I wanted, I wanted you to know, Sean, that Rick's got a nine pounder out of Iowa. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a beast. Now, that listen, was, guys, that, don't, don't, go by, don't go by weight. Go by age. That fish has to be about between 15 and 18 years old hey, up here. Wow. They only grow about a half a pound a year up here. Wow. Wow. There it is. There it is. Look at that. That's an Iowa bass right there. That's impressive. Wow. He was That's... a beauty. Sean, That's I don't know what the equivalent fish. would be here in Florida, but it would be uh, really big. Yeah. Uh, equivalent like a 50 pounder probably. We had a great question up from Steve. Steve, uh, BTC, Steve, I know Steve. you wanted to address that. Nathan, yeah, can you pull it up for us. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, and get your guys' thoughts on it. Well, who's Steve? Steve. Oh, just somebody, somebody watching. Called in. Oh, okay. yeah. I'm guessing yeah. his name is Steve. That's yeah, a, that's all. That's <laughs> one of them. I I can't say. I don't think the moon has any. Well, you know, it does have a pull, a gravitational pull, and they, it can, of course, it raises the tides, but. Um, it could even raise the uh, Earth's crust a foot. So there is a pull and there is a theory that uh, it, it can influence weather uh, fronts. Uh, I guess up here, we have fronts coming through about every three days. So yeah. I can't say the moon really had an effect, but logically I would say I could see why it would, but I've, I haven't studied it. Hey, Stephen, do you, do you know a lot of uh, pro anglers, MLF anglers who pay a lot of attention to the salooner stuff and, and the major and minor periods? Uh, I know that our um, one of our broadcast guys, Marty Stone, was really into this, and he would spend quite a bit of time even during the broadcast talking about it, and he would really push the guys. So I know that, that they're becoming more aware of it, and they're using apps on their phones now. Uh, so they are, they are paying attention to this. Um, they're paying attention to the feeding times, and I think Rick's point of – uh, you know, in major league fishing competition, you have periods where you're not fishing, where you're, and then you have periods where you can move. Uh, so timing those out with the major and minor feeds might be a next level uh, way to compete. Absolutely. You know, I don't have the same problem that Sean does. I don't, for whatever reason, I don't know why. I don't have a lot of fishermen following me. In the water. <laughs> so I don't have that issue, but I do try to put myself on the juice, you know, when, I, when, I, when there's a major feeding period going on. And, and uh, I'd like to think it helps me. It certainly can't hurt me any. Um, but, but Rick, one of the things you, a great point you make in, in one of your books and a lot of your writings is that even for the guys who don't get to pick and choose the days or times they fish, that that the the tables are valuable because they allow you to make the most of your time and i think that's that's very valuable for anybody who's who's watching or listening to us now yeah that's what i say to people and they say hey the only time or the best time to go is when i can and that is true and i've even fell into that myself but if you really think about it most of us do have a little bit of play on when we can go and when we don't uh, you know, I, I joke that, hey, does your, does your daughter have to get married on Saturday? You know, can't you push that off till the next week? You know, sure, fair thing, enough. But, you know. yeah. <laughs> Selfish. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What kind of what kind of son-in-law would you want who would schedule it on a on a really good day? That's, yeah. yeah. It's a relationship to... starting off on the wrong foot. <laughs> <laughs> I also but, tell people they they I, I have customers that well I've been doing this for thirty-eight years I think but they just live and die by the calendar. And I tell them, boy, you know, I'm glad to hear that, but you're sure missing out on some good periods of fishing. Because, yeah. yeah, uh, you know, it, it, for example, if you go out there and you catch a nice string of fish and it wasn't a prime time, well, for Pete's sakes, you know, if you're going out again tomorrow, go to the same time. You know, don't live and die by my calendar. Keep it in perspective. And and then on the other reverse is the guy that says, ah, you know, that's just baloney. I, I, or I tried it once and it didn't work. Yeah, well, the guy went out and tried it for an hour. Who knows? He was probably in the wrong place, throwing the wrong lure, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, there's a lot that can be given, done wrong in fishing. I, I tell them, if, if you will use my system for one year, religiously, stick with it, you will do better with it than you would have done without it. And just, it gives you an edge. There's other things more important, but this moon thing will give you an edge. Stephen, you mentioned that there were a couple of studies out there, but nothing quite on point in the world of freshwater bass fishing and stuff. What were you able to glean from some of those other studies? Yeah, um, there was another one that was done on muskie. They looked at, at muskie caught. There's a, a musk musky uh, association where people can report their fish caught, and so they looked at every musky that was reported from 1970 uh, to 2013, which happened to be like 350,000 musky, and they looked at if they could predict what time of day the fish were caught, and they found that in species like musky, uh, more fish were caught during a new or full moon during the day and a full moon at night. And so uh, as we're starting to build like a body of evidence, uh, are, are these tables impactful? Uh, that would tell you that there are species of fish, maybe for certain uh, reasons ecologically, or maybe for certain predation reasons, why they would use moonlight um, specifically to hunt. So a muskie that's hunting uh, during a full moon at night may be more successful. And so anglers, who are fishing uh, at night would be more successful on full moon nights than non-full moon nights. Those kind of feel like common sense things that we learned, Ken, but when we put enough of these studies together, then we, we can understand that there are maybe species of fish that moonlight, sunlight, uh, so lunar tables are more impactful for. Uh, another study looked at uh, Salmoide species or, or trout species and found that there was really no correlation um, to any kind of catch per unit effort or the amount of time that an angler put into fishing if they were look if they're fishing for trout species. So as we really start to think about this, there may be um, some impactful reasons based on the species of fish, uh, either how they hunt or where they hunt. And we know for sure that when we start talking about marine environments, uh, there's almost a uh, hundred of those studies were marine environments where tidal impacts uh, create really, you know, advantages for certain species of fish during moon phases. That's fascinating. Sean, I want to, yeah, Stephen mentioned the other species and Rick's made very clear in his writings that 
the aster tables, the prime times, they apply to more than just bass. Mm -hmm. They apply to a lot of other fish. They apply to game as well. Uh, but Sean, I want to, I want to address because you do a lot of fishing with shiners as does a lot of, a lot of guys who are anybody who's serious about catching a giant Florida bass needs to take a page out of your book. But, um, but do you also notice an increased level of activity among the bait during those key periods when you're catching fish? Do you see more shiners moving uh, or, or is it really just the predators? It's the same with birds, like, like, you know, just general movement. That's a good question, Ken. I'm kind of curious to that myself. Yeah, you do, actually. It seems like you see, it seems like the lake kind of comes to life around those times. You know, yeah, I'd say you see, you know, more birds in the air, you know, more species of fish, gar, gulping air, you know, uh, mudfish venting. Yeah, I, I'd actually have to say yes. Seems like is, is, is that how you, is that a way to get your clients in the moment and kind of, all right, guys, I'm seeing a lot of activity. Get oh, yeah. ready. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, the, the more movement you see, you know, the more activity. Uh, definitely. It's, it's, it's exciting. I think every day I went out the last two years, there wasn't a bird in the sky and just not a squirrel to be found. Yeah. It's been rough. You're in, you're in New Jersey. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. We don't have birds here. Well, the, the old joke about the state bird being the buzzard. Come on. No. <laughs> Steven, I think you were about to ask something. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that I really like that topic of, you know, if we if we look away from predatory fish and we look at forage species and how uh, are just lunar activity, how how is it impacting? I think Rick outlined it great. Plankton blooms will bring on forage fish feeding. Uh, that forage fish feeding will make, you know, largemouth or other species more active. Um, there's a lot of research that shows tidal. Uh, forage fish like alewives and herring species become much more active during moon phase, even in freshwater environments that don't have a tidal positioning or have very minimal tidal positioning compared to something that's a marine environment, that those fish will still uh, cycle and it will even induce spawning at, at times uh, for those species. And so when we look at forage species that maybe had a, a marine or brackish uh, lineage in their in their historic evolution uh that that could play a strong role into why they still uh you know go ahead and, and cycle with the moon hey I've, I've got a question for rick just out of curiosity why do you think that the moon phases and the what does it physically do to the fish the animal uh to make it more active more hungry is it is it like a is it physical pressure on the fish uh, why do, what do you, what do you think it spurs on the, the activity? Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent question. Uh, we really like to know what it is exactly. Um, there's been some theories, um, okay. gravitational pull works on the body water of, of animals, including fish. Okay. Uh, I like the electromagnetic theory myself, um, that we have iron in our blood. So that it's like a magnet works okay. on that again there's hardly any way to prove this yeah but uh, yeah i wish i knew um uh, we've tried to figure that one out and it just comes down to well we know it works <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> for yeah. whatever reason yes yes sir but good question I, I, yeah i got another question for you rick um 
I hate to ask you to repeat something you already said, but earlier you were talking, uh, you have a kind of a, a rankings list of the different factors that affect uh, the fish. Mm -hmm. Could could you just kind of go through that again? It was like, what about, wasn't it seven things that you use in your tables? Is that what it was? Is that right? Well, you were going through the, you were going through some of the impacts that could potentially override the tables. Okay. I can do it quickly in a nutshell if you want, or do you want? Or take your time either way. I'm, I'm good with it. Okay. Well, the first one was hunting and fishing pressure. Um, okay. If it's, you know, if something, you don't know if something's happened before you got there, you know, your buddy may have got there before you and wiped everything out and scared the deer away or whatever. Okay. The second one was the, uh, the individual quarries mental state and physical state. Um, again, you don't know if he just ate, um, if he's not feeling well, uh, all you just don't know. Uh, the third one was the seasonal factors. Um, especially with bass, which we all love. We know the cycles it can go through um, in the seasons. Um, the fourth was water temperature and weather, how that can screw everything up or really help things because the bass is cold-blooded and uh, he, his metabolism operates pretty much on the surrounding temperature of his water. Uh, the fifth was the sun. Um, I think the sun's periods of, like we just discussed with Sean, that uh, dawn just starts things going. Um, and then we've learned that uh, that midday period of 10 to two, um, you got things happening thanks to the sun. And that uh, just goes right up the food pyramid from the plankton up to the predators. And then dawn, uh, everything shuts down, so to speak. They're, they're heading for that. But then again, if it's nocturnal fish or animal, he turns on. So, and then the last one was the moon. It's kind of the little twisted sister that comes along and just can screw things up or help things out. So those were those six things. Awesome. Yeah, if that's enough. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and I, think, I think it's fair to say that Rick's Astro Tables Prime Times are the most sophisticated table that's been developed in the world of, of fish and game. Uh, you look at some of the early stuff that John Alden Knight was doing where he was really focused just on sun, mood, and tides. Um, and, and Rick, you're a historian as well as a, an angler and a, and, a, and a scientist with regard to this. I couldn't really find anything of consequence that guys like uh, Jason Lucas even ever said about these, these things. Um, whether it was just not on his radar or whether he felt like he didn't have a grip on it, I don't know. But I, I haven't been able to find anything Lucas really talked about in this regard. Are you aware of anything? Gosh, no. And I, I can almost identify with him because I was a skeptical, uh, skeptic too. I remember, I think it was In Fisherman, came out with, with a study back in the 80s. And they, they said, okay, 50% of our fish were caught during a major or a minor period or something like that. And that kind of set me off. I thought, now, wait a minute. I tallied up all the days of three days before and three days after, of both the new and the full. And see, that's, uh, that's uh, six, 12. And then the, the new moon or the half moon's in there. There's two days before and after that one. By the time you get up there, that encompassed 
about 50% of the days. Yeah. You know. not, not very definitive there. That, that, was, that was the Ralph Mann study for in fishermen that, that he's talking about. Um, oh, oh, you're aware of it. Okay. Yeah, um, I read it you know, whenever I was going through because I really couldn't find anything scientifically. So I read this in fisherman article um, and I, I jotted down, they had 2,300 fish that, that they, one angler caught um, over 12 inches. And you're right. He, uh, basically 50% occurred during a major minor. And then they stated something along the lines of like um, major hours and one hour after minor hours Um or between major and minors were the worst. Uh, so they were basically comparing the major and minor to the worst uh, hour and saying 50% were caught during the major and minor. And they showed also uh, that their catch rate doubled at dawn or dusk compared to throughout the middle of the day. So it's it's always tough. There was a scientific article that I kind of threw out um, and, and didn't include in my research because it was another one that was one angler just writing down when they caught fish. And that really, uh, it becomes difficult because you're talking about that angler skill level when they decided to show up and fish or the effort they were putting in at that time. There become so many variables that just aren't repeatable. So I'm, I'm with Rick. My eyebrows raise whenever I see one angler and he's 50% of the fish were caught during this That's, time. It sounds like an how absolutely can, terrible how, how study. Can... The guy who caught 2,300 fish, one guy, I, you know, if, it, if they were following me, first of all, it'd take me a heck of a long time to catch 2,300 fish. But second of all, yeah, I'd catch them all at dawn and dusk because I'm a decent shallow water guy. But when the sun's up and it's hot and they go down deep, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in the shallows and struggle. Um, yeah, it's a terrible I, study. I had a, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I had something when, when you're done. Yeah. Uh, I think this is for Rick. Uh, Jeremiah Eads on the message board said uh, every 28 days, his old lady gets a really, uh, her attitude gets really bad. Is, <laughs> is that from the moon? It is. There is scientific okay. study that the menstrual cycle um, is very much related to the moon, and especially if, if you can shut them off from, from if you shut anything off from daylight they that creature will adjust to the lunar cycle ah <laughs> look at the uh, look at the, your night uh, pregnancy i mean the gestation period of, of a baby is nine lunar months you know uh, more babies are born during a new and full moon um i've heard that some sci some uh, doctors surgeons won't uh, won't conduct surgery because the patient bleeds more during a new and full moon. Yeah, no. Stephen can probably tell me how <laughs> how authentic that is, but um, but there are no. some things. My favorite one of all, I, I got it about forty years ago. You, maybe you've heard of it, Doctor Doctor Brown. Uh, he was a professor at uh, Northwestern University in Chicago. Okay, well he goes over to Connecticut and he gets a bunch of oysters. Okay, now they're they're used to opening their shells at high tide, okay, on the on the on the, on the ocean. So he takes them, brings them to Chicago, puts them in a pan of of water, and for the first week they continued to open their shells at high tide time in Connecticut, but after a week, they started opening their shells when the moon was overhead. I thought that was pretty cool. That That's pretty wild. Cool. That's wild. It is. 
but there's a lot of other examples too. I mean, my book's full of them, and and oh. <laughs> my website too. Uh, uh, can I, I I throw in an anecdote if I can? It was uh, because I built a I built my house on a pond, so I could watch the bass. Well, I actually continued, uh, I extended it uh, to a smaller pond right under my office window. So uh, and then I rigged it up with electronics, you know, a depth finder pointed laterally. Um, so if a fish came down the channel, the thing would beep, and I had the depth finder right in my office. And if it beeped uh, a certain way, I knew it was a big fish, if it was small fish. Anyway, uh, I was just getting this, my office set up. This is way back when. And uh, I happened to look out the window, and here came three big bass. Now, big bass for us was four-pounders. They came in, and robins were along the, the shoreline to get a drink of water or whatever. And these bass swam up and were kind of looking at the robins. And the robins were kind of looking at the bass. And I called to my wife. I said, come here and look at this. This is kind of cute. And she comes in. And right about then, one of the four-pounders came right out of the water and sucked in that robin, pulled it <laughs> down into the water. My wife screamed. I, my mouth <laughs> dropped open. I thought, oh, where's my camera? It was too late. But he pulled it down into the water. He readjusted it with his mouth like bass will do. Got a full thing on it. Then he took off out the channel. And the other two bass were right on his tail. And all that was left of that poor robin was one feather floating there on the, on the pond. <laughs> and I, I hadn't paid any attention because I was so busy. But I looked it up later, and that was the day of a full moon. I'm, I'm sorry, a new moon. And it was high noon when that happened, when the moon was right wow. overhead. That's crazy. Fantastic. Sean Rush, electronics in his office. That is next level hardcore, Sean Rush. What do you think? What can you <laughs> do to get to that level? I, I'm not even going to try. He's, he's got me there. Yeah. Well, that was your... a perfect setup for research because I could observe yeah. these fish without disturbing them. Yeah. You know, I, I had built a thousand gallon aquarium to observe and it, it was nice, but it just didn't tell me anything. And I fished tournaments hoping that I'd have a whole you know, squadron of guys helping me find out about these fish and when they're biting, you know. But that, that, that research pond I built, is, I still got it. It was the best thing I ever did. I got tons of stories about, about that. But That's fantastic. That's Sean, good. your clients come to you. You've got an amazing reputation for catching big fish. Do any of your clients come to you and yeah. or contact you and say, hey, I want to book during this moon and I want to do this? Are they, are they that dialed in sometimes? Absolutely. I get calls for that all the time. They want to come, you know, on, on the moon phase, usually a full moon uh, in the winter. Uh, I get a lot of requests for that. But yeah, a lot of people do schedule their fishing trips around the, the full and new moons for sure. Steven, do you know if MLF gets a lot of pressure from the anglers to uh, schedule around, the, you know, major movements and stuff? No, the the hard part about tournament schedules is there's only so many weekends out of the you know, out of the month and there's always a holiday coming around the corner. So you got to schedule around holidays. Uh, and, yes. and like we alluded to, those guys are going to go compete when, when they're told to be on the water. Um, a little and bit, I got a question for Sean though. I wanted to know, uh, you know, a little bit about what barometric pressure maybe does compared to these lunar tables. Does a pressure change either high or low, uh, impact this more than than the solar yeah um yeah for example we had a 
the water temperatures drop. Uh, you know, we've been having a very, I guess we're basically, getting, they're saying in an El Nino winter. So in, in Florida, the forecast is going to be wet and cool. And that's exactly what it's been, you know, when this is typically our dry season. So it's been very challenging lately. And uh, just for example, yesterday, uh, it was it was still a pretty slow day, but we had 18 fish, had a nine and a nine and a half pounder. Um, had, had a, you know, for the water temperature being in the 50s, it was a decent bite. Uh, we were out there this morning, and, and you could clearly see a front row right over us, and, and the, the the temperature dropped. The you know the barometer shot up, and man, those fish shut down. Like we, I, as the storm was rolling over us, as the front was rolling over us, uh, we had a decent bite. But when it passed and it became bluebird sky day, I mean, man, it was rough. And uh, in my toughest day of the year this year, I think we had eight fish. We did luck up to get a a seven and a half and a nine two, but that's the only thing that saved me today because it was when that high pressure rolled over top of us, man, it was like you turn off a light switch. It was brutal. And I think that's irrespective of, you know, moon phase or what have you. Glenn Lau told me uh, that, you know, he's had those, I'm sure Ken can tell you, he had these big 10,000 gallon aquariums that used to study bass in. And he said sometimes, you know, on really high pressure that he's actually seen the bass lay on their side on the bottom. Like they're, it, 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 it affects them that much. He said he'd witnessed wow. that. Yeah, so, I mean, and it really did seem like, you know, I mean, you get a really brutal, hard front, high pressure, bluebird sky day. It, it kind of, it probably overrides the lunar phase. I mean, at least it seems that way to me. It was, it was rough today, buddy. Did Ken Can ever explain how, um, I, I was asked that question a lot too, does, does air pressure, air pressure, affect my fish um but all a fish has to do is move one inch you know and the, the pressure on his body will will change far more than the air pressure uh, above yeah. him did I, yeah. i'm always just confounded by that yeah did he ever mention anything about that <laughs> he talked a lot about how different weather conditions would impact fish everything from current to um uh, he talked a little bit about moon phases, and he certainly paid close attention to it. And then for one year, at least, he produced his own calendar. But then he said it was so time-consuming uh, that he couldn't keep up with it. And at about the same time, he was trying to grow a world record. And, and as Sean mentioned, he had these massive tanks where he would observe fish. And a lot of Glenn's photography that people think was taken out in the great wide open of nature were actually shot in that tank mm -hmm. it was that big and and glenn grew a fish to 18 and steven here has grown one to what 17 and a half or something wow yeah, yeah. 17 and a half. sean wants to know where that fish is yeah cause... i like to right where <laughs> that's that's what i do sean uh, <laughs> i make i make research ponds like rick's um oh, and wow. try to grow them as big as we possibly can yeah what do you feed well, them uh look it's diversity, threadfin shad, bluegill sunfish, uh, when I can, rainbow trout, um, and a lot of tilapia as well. I suppose what? crayfish are kind of expensive, but aren't they about the most nutrient? No, crayfish have too much uh, exoskeleton, so the protein is, oh. is actually fairly low. There's a, a freshwater shrimp prawns. Um, we, we utilize those because they can be pretty nutrient-dense. Uh, really, the most nutrient-dense food, rainbow trout, uh, is very high. 
largemouth bass themselves are very high. So if you can get uh, super aggressive fish that will consume their offspring or, or other offspring, that competition really does help. Um, but yeah, the caloric density is really important whenever you're trying to grow big fish. It's, you know, it's, they, they only have so many heartbeats. They're going to grow, you know, just like you outlined, they're cold blooded. So they're going to grow based on their environment. Uh, so having a warm climate and an abundance of forage whenever you're in an optimal growing day. So any any day between 65 and 80 degree water temperature, those are going to be optimal growing days. Uh, the more of those you have with abundant forage, the, the quicker you can grow. What what state do you have you grown that 17 and a half pounder in? That, that was in Central Texas. Okay, Texas. Okay. How, how long do you those Florida hybrids live? Uh, Florida's here. We have fish up to 15 years old. Mm. Yes, sir. Wow. Yeah. It's, think, it's, how long does it take? Make a world's record out of that. I mean, you yeah. basically can put on a pound a year, can't they? The problem, Rick, is that you, sorry, Ken. No, I say we don't want a Texas world record. Don't want a Texas world record. We want problem, a Florida world record. The problem, Rick, is, uh, you, you have to also have enough cold days where you're not getting growth to extend the lifespan of that fish long enough to where uh, it, it can live. The faster you grow a fish, typically the shorter its lifespan is. Yeah, well, ship them really? here. We got plenty of cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. <laughs> well, now, Stephen, we really appreciate that you went and dug around and looked for some of these studies that that would give us some illumination on this issue. I wonder if anything comparable has been done in the world of uh, fauna. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, if, if we were talking, I mean, if we were even just talking marine environments, uh, we would have quite a long scientific history. Um, I mean, okay. I, can, I can tell you about coral species that the spawn um, is, is literally turned on by a full mood. Um, and, and they will spawn over full moon. I, I can show you fish species that because of the moon's effect on, on tidal water, they will follow the moon and uh, lay their eggs in, in certain areas based on when the tide will and won't be there. Uh, and when we talk about, uh, you know, non-fish species, uh, there, there's a rich scientific history. Uh, it, is, it is just freshwater fish, and it's mainly because of the lack of a tide so it was ignored for so long. And then it's very hard now to create a scientific study that would be extensive enough. Uh, so we're kind of bottlenecked into uh, this, this solunar topic just, just doesn't have uh, the scientific backing that, that you really were hoping for, I think. Well, yeah, well, we're getting exactly the discussion, I think, that, that Brian and I were hoping for. You guys are you guys are bringing your A games. We really appreciate that. I, I guess the lack of, of some meaningful scientific data is is disappointing. But there's there's a ton of anecdotal data, obviously, and there's where there is data like your major league fishing information, like like the information Rick has, like the musky information that you shared with us earlier. That's significant. I mean, I, I can't I can't ignore that, and 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 it leads me to believe that there is absolutely something to these salooner tables and to these phases. Now, am I gonna change the way I, I approach my fishing dramatically because of that? Maybe not, but, but that's gonna be largely because I don't have necessarily the kind of freedom to do that. But where I will, where I can, I will adapt. 
I will try to be in my best area. I don't have Sean Rush's problem where people are following me. Can't explain why. But, <laughs> but I'm going to try to be on, on the spot I think is best when that the peak time hits. Uh, if I have a choice of going on certain days, I'm going to go on a day that scores better on Rick's calendar. Um, Rick, what else can we do to try to take advantage of, the, of, of your Astro tables and prime times? Hmm. Um, Any advanced tips that, that are not just readily apparent to somebody looking at the charts? <laughs> I'd have to think on that, but I put everything I know and all my effort into the calendars and the app. Um, yeah, I'll get my app is what they should do. I almost hate to say it because it takes away the sales from my calendar, but the app is awesome. <laughs> it really is because it's interactive and you can, you can put in uh, the weather conditions, the water conditions, the, uh, what you're going after. You got 22 choices from bass and walleyes to deer and squirrels. And uh, it's got GPS in it. So it knows right where you are and you can program it to other places. But um, that would be my advice. But uh, um, I'm sorry, I'm just kind of being a salesman. But <laughs> no, good for you. Because I'll tell you what, um, the tables and the app are fantastic. And maybe Nathan can pull up, pull up your, your app image that you shared with us which thank you for making that about Orlando. Sorry, Sean, it's a little bit South for you. <laughs> but, uh, that's but today. Because yeah, that's today. And that, look at that. That's, that's beautiful and, and clear. And it tells us key times to be out there, but without your books, without your other materials, I, I don't think that an angler has as meaningful an understanding of what's going on and how much goes into this. Hmm. Maybe he wants evidence on uh, that the moon has an effect on on animals on the earth and stuff. Uh, again, there's uh, there's a lot of that stuff. I'm, I could probably dig up my website here and, and read off some stuff, but uh, you know, off the top of my head, I've, I've explained some of them. Um, there's something no, you... about grun grunions. Uh, they spawn just four days before a full moon every time or something. Uh, again. And of course, there's a world of evidence in the world of insects. And maybe that's one of the things Stephen was thinking about when, when he was talking about the uh, uh, other animals that are so very clearly impacted by, by cylinder there, factors. There's also a lot of evidence in the world of uh, alcohol and nightlife. Bartenders, <laughs> uh, liquor store clerks and mm -hmm. waitresses will tell you the moon's effect on people is real. The first time I think it, I knew it affected me was uh, I couldn't sleep during the full moon. And I didn't even, this was way back before I was even considering anything about the solar lunar effect. And now my wife, she can't, she didn't even know when there's a full moon, but she can't sleep. And I'll say, guess what, honey? It was a full moon last night. And I figured. <laughs> well, you don't have, if you ever ask a, an ER nurse or somebody that works in an, in an emergency room, Man, they'll be more than happy to tell you, you know, how much the, how many more people show up and how much crazy stuff happens on a full moon. No, I hear that all the time. All the time. Oh, there's there's so many. Almost every profession there is in the world it seems like they've come to me and said, uh, well, stockbrokers, you know, uh, teachers, uh, especially retailers who are, sell things at their store. People come in more during a full and new moon, uh, almost to the you know, predictable. Um, uh, law enforcement, yeah, the loonies come out during a full moon, yeah. but that's, you know, that's, that could be the light. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Crime, crime spikes 
on a full moon as yeah, well. Yeah. Glenn Lau always told me he could not sleep on a full moon. Huh. Interesting. So, uh, so it, how do you explain it? You, you really can't, but it's there. Huh. Can we, um, can we at least, uh, well, maybe I just want to hear you guys' opinion on this because uh, is the moon real? And uh, is it, the Earth's not flat, right? <laughs> I don't sure. think so. Not sure. Uh, it's been a lot of that. talk about that lately. It's kind of freaking me out. <laughs> it's amazing that moon is is two hundred and twenty five thousand miles away. You know, we tend to think that it's just really right out there, but if you put it in perspective, um, if you put down a, a, a basketball, say in your living room, the moon would be about twenty feet away from it. And it would be a golf ball. 20 feet. Think about that. You know, and then you look at the sun, 93 million miles away, and you go, huh, how can anything that far away possibly influence our Earth? But boy, does it ever, not only with heat and light, but electromagnetic energy. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just there. You know, you got you to gotta think it beyond the box, you know. <laughs> All right, Rick, I think this is maybe a, the, a best question for you, that I have for you. Of all the factors that you build into prime times, astro tables and stuff like that, what is the, what is the factor that you most wish you had a, a better grip on or a better way to quantify or, or scale? Would it be the sun? Would it be the moon? Would it be Earth's gravitational pull? Make the fish bite. <laughs> <sighs> wow I've just uh, I've done so much of it over the years the last 38 years that uh, um, I don't know where else to go to tell you the truth I, I feel like I've reached the uh, the pinnacle of my research and my system I don't know how I could make it any better um, alright Sean Rush mm -hmm. you're out there chasing giant Florida bass 300 days a year what element of the kind of things we're talking about here would you most like to to feel like yeah i got this i got this by the tail now i think this is going to help me more than any other natural factor well to be honest with you i'll probably after listening to mr taylor probably pay a little bit a little bit better attention to the uh you know to the to the minor and major feeding periods i tend not to look at it every day um or or that the half moon cycle i, I think i want to maybe delve a little bit more into that and pay a little bit more attention to, you know, actually looking at the, the, the major minor feeding times and, and maybe at the, uh, the half moons like he was talking about, because I'd never given that much thought before. Excellent. All right. Stephen Barden, the science, the, the, the trained and classically prepared scientist in our group here. Um, what would you like to see science explore next? So you would have a greater understanding of it. I, I think, with the background that I have at Major League Fishing, I would love to look at uh, size class. And so, you know, especially for a guy like Sean, can we find uh, not just major minor feedings that affect entire populations, but what about exceptional individuals within that population? When do we have the best chance to catch a trophy size fish? I think that would be uh, impossible, but it, it would be a really fun chase uh, scientifically to see if we could understand that. Very interesting. You mentioned that, uh, Steve. How big's the uh, the pond you guys are um, you're, you're growing those fish in? 
I have clients with with ponds as small as like five acres up to fifteen hundred surface acres. Right. Wow. Uh, we we service hundreds of lakes. Um, That's all okay. The the lake that we grew a 17 and a half in is, is 35 acres. Wow. There's a lot of lakes around me like that. Yeah. So somebody, somebody actually has a private lake that's 1500 acres. Yeah. The, God, I wish I, I had. Have three, three that size here. It's Texas. It's Texas, Sean. It's Texas. Yeah. Oh, Somebody's well, going to put a fence around Toledo Bend and claim it as their right. private pond. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Sean, you may be shocked at this, but I have an Excel spreadsheet of every trophy catch bass over 10 pounds listing county, you know, day of the week, moon phase. And I, I just need to sit down and try to figure out how, what to do with all this data that I've, I've keyed in myself. That's how messed up I am yeah. because I'm trying to predict where my best chance is to break the state record. And, and I realize that when I go simply by moon phase, I'm not getting nearly as sophisticated as, as Rick Taylor's prime times, but yeah. I'm hoping it'll give me some insight because I, I desperately want to make, give my best attempt to catch a, a giant personal best. You probably need to try Orange Lake and, and I don't fish that lake a lot, but there's a, there's a lot of smoke right now about the game commission uh, doing an electric shocking out there and shocked up some fish over 20. Yikes. Yeah. Rel so reliably? charge you know, the batteries you, you always you always you always hear people say stuff like that but i've heard it from enough people now that that, that aren't liars that if there seems to be some truth to it. i mean i hope god i hope so i hope even one of them is true yeah that would be awesome and, and orange of course kingsley produces a lot of massive yeah. fish I, I live in i apologize to steven and rick because sean and i are now having a florida discussion but I live in Polk, which, of course, produced the state record. And, and I feel like I've got a great chance here in Polk. But, uh, yeah, some amazing water in there. And, of course, they're stocking rainbows I saw now, that. guys, in, awesome. uh, in some North Florida lakes. I think they put them in Kingsley. Yeah, yeah. Kingsley is 90 feet deep, perhaps probably the deepest lake in, in all of, of Florida. But, uh, yeah. Um, I hate I hate to use a swear word here, but go for you it. Guys, think think do California ha any has any chance of producing the next uh, world's record? <laughs> Unfortunately, I do, and I I don't I don't have any greater insight than you guys do, and I should let everybody else answer first. But I did a story a couple of years ago about um, uh, the chase for a world record, and I interviewed multiple California state biologists, and they all agreed that there is not a world record largemouth bass swimming in California right now. Hmm. Now, they certainly can't know if somebody's stocking rainbows in a private lake and has a 23-pounder, but that's what they told me. And most of the trout stocking in California ended, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, um, but, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited about the things that the Florida Freshwater Fish Commission is doing here in our state. Uh, I think they're taking the the production of trophy bass more seriously than they have ever. And um, I'm really enthusiastic about that and want to do everything I can to help support it because, you know, whatever the, whatever the world record is, it's a fish with Florida genetics. And I would love to see Florida have that record. And even the guy from Texas is nodding. I'd like to point out. I think they should be based on their age, not their size. Oh, <laughs> says the guy from Iowa, of course. 
gentlemen, this has been a blast. I, I cannot thank you enough. You guys have been spectacular. We, we put together what I, what I knew was a blue ribbon panel. And usually when we put together a blue ribbon panel, it's Paps Blue Ribbon. But tonight, <laughs> you guys were the real deal. And, and we're so good. Um, I, I want to make sure that, that everybody watching and listening knows how to, to get hold of you guys. Um, let, let's uh, take you guys each out. Um, Rick Taylor, the man who put, puts the tables together, the Astro tables, the prime times. You can go to Google and search Rick Taylor prime times or you can go to his website, which is primetimesthenumeral2.com. You need the books, you need the tables because there is science, there is, is real impactful fishing behind these. Rick, thank you so much for being an inspiration to me personally and for being our guest tonight. Hey, I'm happy to do it. Thank you and enjoyed talking to you other two guys, Stephen and Sean, enjoyed it very, very much. I hope we can stay in touch. Yeah, nice meeting you, nice meeting you, buddy. We'll, yeah, we'll share some uh, contact yeah. info. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate it. Thank you, Rick. Okay, thanks, Rick. <laughs> Sean Rush is quite simply the best trophy bass guide in the state of Florida. If you're looking for a giant Florida bass, and, and who isn't, uh, then you need to check out floridatrophybass.com. That's floridatrophybass.com. Sean, one of these days, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to holler at you and see if you'll even take me fishing. I'm, I'm just waiting for you. <laughs> we appreciate you, man. You brought your A game tonight. That was a lot of fun. I hope you had a good time. Yes, sir. That, this was a blast. I'll be glad to do it anytime. And, and we kept you up past your bedtime. Phase, it What's is that? Schedule it with the moon. <laughs> Got to yeah, schedule that's... it with, with the moon phase with Sean. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we kept Sean up late. Uh, stay awake tomorrow, brother. Yeah. See you soon. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Good Sean. Thanks, Sean. Stephen Barden is is the super guest because Stephen's been on Stephen the Big Bass Barden. podcast with me, and he's now been on Bass After Dark. I think ultimately his goal is to take the smoking jacket away from me because he knows he'd be a better host than me. No, never can. And I I didn't make any jokes about you personally today. That's a rare thing, and I appreciate no. that more than you could possibly realize. He's not oh. over, Steve. I know. Well, uh, Ken, I'm coming to visit in two weeks. I'll call Sean. I'll book it around the moon phase, buddy. We need to do that. We need to do that. He's, he's a fantastic guide. Like I said, none other than Glenn Lau yep. said, this is the best bass guide I've ever shared a boat with. He even so, said he'd put the shiner on your hook and cast it for you, Ken. And reel it in too. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And that's a little more service than, than I was load looking the for. Scale so he can get a big fish. Hold it for <laughs> you in the picture. What happened? What happened to your moratorium on jokes about me, Stephen? What I happened? know BTC said it was okay. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you can't. He's he's not the authoritative store source on that. But thank you so much, Stephen. You're awesome. And thank hey, you very much. Stephen's a private lake management company. You'll find it at txprolake.com. Uh, but you can also search for you know fisheries biologist Stephen Barden, Stephen with a V. And, and you'll track him down there. He is uh, he's the industry's go-to biologist. So he's, he's easy You're too to kind. Find. You're too kind. Thank Not you, guys. It was my pleasure. Appreciate you, Thanks, man. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. BTC, I thought that was spectacular. It was. My that was, God. That was Ken, everything. you booked all three guests make. tonight, and you nailed it. Well, it, it's, it has nothing to do with me booking them. It happens that I, I know those guys and, um, and I know what they, I know, I know a 
you know, that, that fraction of 1% of what they know. And I knew also knew that they would be engaged and they would be into it and there would be a, a wonderful exchange. And, and, you know, we were excited about our topic because this is something that, that most bass fishermen have thought about, even if the, maybe they haven't had a, a big discussion with their friends or fellow anglers, but this is something most bass fishermen think about on some level. Yeah. I think it's something, you know, especially if you're out there trophy hunting, you know, ups your odds and the yeah. odds are odds are long man <laughs> especially and, when you're in new jersey <laughs> yeah. well it, it's time i gotta ask you uh do the salooner tables salooner tables i'm sorry i mispronounced it do the salooner tables matter btc yes and uh to to rick's research and and uh conclusion you know it, it's it's on the list of of things that matter what are you maybe not do? the number one thing that matters but i feel like especially when you're talking about trophy hunting and maybe not so much with shiners i, I don't know never really shiner fish but to get to get them big ones to commit to a big bait you know i think it's things like that that, that separate the follows to the eats well just real quick on shiner fishing make no mistake folks uh shiner fishing is real fishing there is just as much to it as throwing artificials uh you may not feel as engaged because you're used to cranking a real handle but the way sean rush approaches it the science he uses the the study he does the the practice and and understanding he has is second to nobody on the tournament trail or otherwise and i just happen to think that that live bait gives you your very best chance at a giant now Having, having said that you agree, there is something to the salooner tables. Uh, did, did tonight's conversation change your attitude at all? Do you have a different feel about it now? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to check out Rick's website. Uh, he said it's an app, right? He has an app. He's got an app. Yeah. I'm probably going to check that out. And, and honestly, you know, if you're tournament fishing, it, it can play. But to a smaller degree, you know, okay, you know, how you plan your day, where you put yourself at for, yeah. for peak bite windows. Um, but, you know, in picking days to go out and take the ride to a lake that's got the big ones needs to be considered. Has I, to be I'm considered. right there with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I can get lazy. Oh, he said, uh, sitting yeah. here in a smoking jacket and an ascot. I can get lazy and not, not look at the tables sometimes before I go fishing because I'm just, that's the day I've got to go. And I know the hours I've got to be out there, but I'm not going to take it so much for granted anymore because I can still control something about my day. I can still put myself in what I think is the best spot at the best time. And, and I want to do that more often to give myself, as you said earlier, better odds. Yeah. I, I used to look at them back in the, I guess the nineties and I really haven't tuned back in and in about that long so it's time it's time it's time it's absolutely hey, time speaking of it's time speaking of time it's time for our next segment am i right i don't know ken uh the top 10 is that where we're at up to you brother you're in charge <laughs> and tonight's top 10 the is that where we oh yeah the top 10 New Year's resolutions. Let's just roll to that. A couple other things and call it a night. 
but yes, top 10 New Year's resolutions. Nathan? The top 10 New Year's resolutions. Number 10, watch Bass After Dark live every Thursday night. Number 9, if Biden is re-elected, find a new country with good bass fishing. Number 8, eat healthier. More wood and tungsten, less plastic and lead. Number 7, for Ken Duke, develop Signature Series smoking jackets. Number 6, for Mike Iconelli, learn to use indoor voice. Number 5, for James Watson, pay MLF fine and BASS store gift cards. Number 4, for the NPFL, appear in Google search results ahead of Nigeria Professional Football League. Number three, for BASS, find some new talent that's old enough to drive. Number two, for MLF, new rule, you can't leave. And the number one New Year's resolution, for Rick Klun, get refocused for second half of career. Top ten. To right that uh, to that number one, I saw tonight on Rick Clun's social media that he's now active on. Uh, he just got uh, Starlink. Oh, wonderful! That's good. That makes Rick a lot more accessible. Makes for, him uh, accessible at all. Shows well, yeah. I, I spoke he, to Rick. And he uh, said he he mentioned uh, hitting up around about a future podcast of his own. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm I'm going to tune into that. Rick Clun's uh, not just a hero of mine, but I'm so proud to call that guy friend. And and uh, I spoke to Rick just a week or so ago, and he was calling me from his satellite phone because he lives in kind of remote Missouri, Ava, Missouri. He says. Yeah. So, but hey, hopefully one of these days we'll have him on uh, Bass After Dark. That would be a, that would be a coup. He doesn't make a lot of appearances. He makes some, but he definitely makes makes uh, uh, not often enough. You can't you can't get enough Rick Klein. This is a fact. Well, we still got my new favorite section of the show coming up here in just a bit. But um, my part's almost done. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Yes, um, we really appreciate your time. We're working very hard to give you the best show we possibly can. We do want it to be inch, inch for inch and pound for pound, the best show in bass fishing. That's um, right, Ken. So, BTC, you know all the stuff that people can do to help us with the algorithms out there that are everybody's challenge on YouTube. That's right. Like, share, subscribe uh, on our iTunes. Uh, give us a, you know, five stars and a positive comment or a negative one. Yeah, and, uh, give us a make comment. sure you use your real name so I know who you are. We'll hunt you down if you give us a negative comment. I, I was checking make, the numbers. I, I got a list. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I keep a list. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's not Santa's list either. No. You get you get worse than a lump of coal if you give us a bad review. Um, you get payback. You, you, get, you get payback. I, I was looking at some of our uh, numbers a little earlier, and um, uh, only about 27% of the people who About are watching 27. our show, <laughs> yeah, 27.3, who are watching our show, subscribe. And, and you know, if we could just get 
rest of those folks who are regularly watching the show to, to sign up and subscribe, that would be a big deal. And, uh, and, and, you know, I'm not saying that, that that makes us work any harder, that makes us uh, do any better, but it probably helps us get guests because it puts our show more on their radar, perhaps. And uh, not that we're having any trouble. We're getting the guests we want, but uh, we'd love to make the show bigger and better, and I could afford a second smoking jacket, perhaps. Dab jacket. I don't even know what that it's, is. It's uh, Joseph Gill. He just named it your dab jacket. Dab I'll talk, explain jacket. that to you in the, in the post-show yeah, uh, meeting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm writing it down. Dab. I have no idea what that means. Uh, hey, you don't, you don't see this. Yeah, you don't see this guy on our show, um, but he's our engineer and our other partner, Nathan Benson. Uh, he's the guy who pulls everything together and, and makes this thing go. So thank you, Nathan. Yes. And uh, also want to give a special guest to James Riley, who is yes. responsible for the best logo in bass fishing, the Bass After Dark logo, and to my buddy Ron Stallings for the smoothest intro in the game. Yes. Please, guys, subscribe. We, we got another we, show. We, we do week. put a lot of time into yeah. this. And, this yeah. is a very time-consuming effort, you know, uh, creating yeah. the top 10, BTC and I just uh, talking for hours without ever actually accomplishing anything, but still having a good time with it. It's um, enjoyable. One more, one more segment coming up, though. One more my, you know, up. my personal business is starting to suffer, showing signs already. So, guys, please help me out. I'm uh, losing my hair. Yeah, um, yeah. Also, want to mention uh, our next show a week from tonight, January 11th, when the topic will, the question will be, do we know yet? Do you know yet? We're going to know real soon. Um, not going to hold it. I'm going to hold it until I talk to uh, my partner on that show because because I'm I'm out of town. I'm out of town on a, a business trip uh, and I'm not available to uh, wear the smoking jacket. So BTC is going to be uh, well in his usual role as co-host only or ordinarily I'm one co-host. He's the other. But uh, next week he's going to have a special guest to co-host with him. And it'll be a great show. And if I'm lucky, I'll still have a job when I come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never in my life wanted to do, to be in that spot, but Ken's forcing me into all kinds of uncomfortable positions and uh, challenges and overcoming childhood fears and such. So, hey, what are you going to do, right? Never give up. Well, when, uh, you know, you're going to be fabulous at it. And uh, that's, that's all that matters. And, and I realize that there's not necessarily something you're necessarily looking forward to, but you're going to be mm -hmm. terrific at it. And, and it'll be fun. And, and unfortunately, there are going to be times when one of us can't do the show. So, you know, what Shakespeare said, the show must go on. Yeah, um, it's going to go on. It may look a lot different. Yeah, it may look a little different, but it'll be good. It'll be good <laughs> because we got great yeah. questions. We got great guests. And, uh, you know, trust us. Trust us on that one. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. So uh, final thought from me here. Um, you know, last week we did, uh, we did what are your bass fishing pet peeves? And 
you know, my process of, of uh, aligning guests up, sometimes I'll just call guys that I think might be a good guest. And I just want to call, call guys I know in the industry and talk to them and feel out where they are, you know, see if there are a good guests for the topic or whatever. And a lot of times you got to go through a number of guys before you get your three. And the one observation, and I wanted it to be a fun show, you know, pet peeves can certainly lead you down the road of a lot of bitching and complaining. And I didn't want to do that between Christmas and New Year's. I wanted something positive and happy and fun. Not that pet peeves is positive, but fun show, you know, a lot of laughing. And the one observation I had was I was surprised at, at some of the, where some of the guys were at that I know. Um, guys that are really positive, happy, uh, get along with everybody kind of guys. And they were in a little bit of a negative spot. And, uh, and that surprised me a little bit, you know, just where they were at with what's going on in the fishing world, maybe, or, or really, I think just what's going on in the world around us right now. Um, and then Brian knew who was great on that show. Brian's awesome. He, he mentioned it a couple of times and it kind of stuck out to me. And, um, uh, I don't know, I don't have a, you know, profound final thought here, but it, it was a little bit, you know, I observed, that's what I do. It's how I try to keep myself from being a total piece of shit. Um, just observe and compare myself and try to better myself. Um, yeah, I just, that was a little bit alarming. And, and I, I think that we should all kind of just take a look at where we're at and not let what's going on around us affect us right now or any time. So that's it. That's my final thought tonight, guys. I really appreciate everybody that hung out. Um, this show has been a blast and uh, that's a wrap. I'll see you next week for the absolute disaster of a show with me hosting.